one of the ways that God has used and uses to confront people with his presence is through signs. The idea that God uses signs is a concept that is unwelcome to our materialistic age. For the materialist, if God exists at all, and that's a very big if, he's certainly irrelevant to the natural world because the happenings within the world uh, are completely explicable by, with, and through the natural processes of the world. But throughout history and God's word, we see that God has sought to corner people into an encounter with himself through signs. The plagues of Egypt were a sign to Pharaoh, although he hardened his heart against them. In the book of Deuteronomy, God, uh, or Moses rather, reminds the people of God's signs that they saw in the wilderness as a way of provoking faith in them. And through the prophet Isaiah, God had said, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son. A sign is a visible thing that points to a reality that is, as yet at least, not seen. A sign points to something beyond itself. If you come off the beltway and you're driving uh, west on Route 7 into Leesburg, you're going to see signs that say Leesburg. That sign is not Leesburg. That sign points to something beyond itself. It tells us that Leesburg is beyond. The signs that God gives are not encounters with God themselves, but they point us to God so that we may encounter him. We can't tie God's hands and tell him how he may work. Westminster Confession of Faith 5.3 says, God in his ordinary providence makes use of means, yet he is free to work without, above, and against them at his pleasure. People make two mistakes when it comes to God's use of signs. They either demand signs or they deny signs. I want to read to you today from John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. The account of the wedding at Cana in Galilee, and this is the word of God. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. The master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. 
Then they called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best until now. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. And Father, we pray today that we would see the glory of the Lord Jesus and that our faith in him would be provoked. Amen. Encountering God always requires a disposition of trust. If we're to encounter him beneficially, it requires a disposition of trust. There's some people who think, you know, if... If God just showed me a sign, I would believe. But it doesn't really work that way. Uh, signs do no good if we come to God with an attitude of distrust. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus on several occasions asking him for a sign. Of course, it doesn't work that way. The signs were not magic tricks to be done at their demand. And yet in John chapter 10, Jesus says to them, if you don't believe me, believe the works that I do. But they didn't believe them either. Encountering God requires a disposition of trust. I think when I look at the signs that Jesus performed in the time of his earthly ministry, or the signs that were associated with him, the most astonishing of those signs is the sign of Jonah. In Matthew chapter 12, you remember that Jesus said that no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. And what he was referring to was his resurrection. And yet it's significant to note that in Luke 16, as Jesus uh, tells a parable, tells a story about a rich man and uh, a fellow named, a character named Lazarus, we have the, uh, both of them dying, the uh, rich man going into torment in hell, Lazarus going to the bosom of Abraham, there's a chasm, they can see each other, they speak to each other, in this story and the story concludes with the rich man saying let me at least go back and warn my brothers so that they will not come to this place of torment and Abraham if you remember the parable says they have Moses and the prophets let them hear them but if they will not listen to Moses and the prophets nor will they listen if someone were to rise from the dead Encountering God requires a disposition of trust. So in our passage today, Jesus and his disciples are at the gala in Galilee celebrating the wedding of a friend. Um, their weddings, you get a uh, kind of a glimpse of it here, their weddings were not like ours. They were multi-day events. You know, sometimes... You might go to a wedding that goes late into the night. I don't know, maybe you've gone to a wedding that's gone until 
midnight or one or two or three in the morning, or, or maybe you've gone to a wedding that's gone on so long that the sun was coming up, and that would be a late wedding. But, but weddings in the ancient Near East, and I think in some places even today, they're multi-day events. And it was a big deal to run out of food or drink because it was the responsibility of the host to provide that. Uh, in that culture, the embarrassment of running out would have been considerable. And some scholars actually believed the groom's family because in that, uh, in that culture, the groom's family provides for the wedding that it might actually bring some financial legal liability for them to run out because of the expectations of the guests and because of the embarrassment that would be brought to the bride's family. Mary brings this whole thing to the attention of Jesus. It's obvious that she wants him to do something to remedy it in some way, but did you notice that she doesn't even have a request? She just says they've run out of wine. They have no more wine. She brings the problem to Jesus. I want you to note carefully Mary's response to Jesus' expressed reluctance. Because Jesus doesn't give her much encouragement here. He says, Dear woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. And in response to that, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know if he's going to do anything. But whatever he tells you to do, you do it. That's good advice. Encountering God requires a disposition of trust. Um, I've got a friend of mine who is in a counseling ministry. And um, he had something happen to him that was, that was encouraging because I think it's, uh, it's, it's pretty uncommon. Brian does uh, counseling, and Brian will probably tell you this is pretty uncommon in terms of the outcome of this, not this part. This part is probably pretty common. That people come... This fellow came to him for counseling, and uh, so they would work through what the issue was, and he'd help the fellow uh, to come to a biblical solution, and they would talk it through, and this is really what I need to do, this is what God's word says. Then he would weigh it, he'd think about it, he'd go off and he'd not do it. Right? I see, I see Brian nodding his head there, right? He'd go off and he'd not do it. And he came back and he said, ah, oh, things are terrible. Things are getting worse. And, he, and he'd want more counsel. And he'd give him counsel and he'd weigh it and he'd decide this isn't expedient, this isn't really what I want, this isn't comfortable, this isn't easy. So he uh, would decide to do something else. But after a time, things just kept spiraling down and spiraling down and spiraling down until uh, he came back and he said, listen, he said, I... I, I know you must be exasperated with me, and, and the fellow was getting kind of exasperated with the situation. But he said, it's, it's not working. I keep weighing what you tell me. I keep trying to figure out uh, if this is what I want to do or if this is what I'd like to do, and it's not working. 
and, 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 I'm, and I've reached the end. And so, and so if you'll continue to meet with me, here's how it's going to go. I'm going to meet with you. We're, we're going to work out a plan for what the Bible says I should do in this place. Then you tell me what to do, and I'll do it. And I don't really care whether I want to do it, like doing it, think it will be easy or comfortable to do. Just tell me what to do, and I'll do it. It's the attitude that we need to have when we come to Christ. You know, there are a lot of people who read God's Word, and, and God's Word tells us who we are, tells us the purpose for which we were created, uh, indicates to us our identity, and tells us how to live in ways that are wise and beneficial to ourselves and a blessing to others and glorifying to God. And we too often weigh it. And we think, I, I, well, I wonder if this seems easy or comfortable or right uh, according to my standards. And let me tell you that until you come to a Proverbs 3.5 realization, you, you know what Proverbs 3.5 says, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Until you come to the Lord with a Proverbs 3.5 realization. Until you give up trying to evaluate whether what God says for you to do in a certain situation is expedient or acceptable or easy, you're going to miss encountering God. Whatever he tells you to do, do it is the only way to see his glory. And you know, it's interesting, as we look at this passage here, you see that faith begets faith. If we go all the way to the end of this, we see this is the first of his miraculous signs that Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. Did you see that? These are his disciples, those who already trust him, already have a disposition of trust in him. And their faith is provoked, and it's increased, and they see his glory. Because encountering God requires of us a disposition of trust in him. Do what he tells you to do and the disciples encounter God through this sign that Jesus does. Uh, what, what are the ways that people could respond to God's signs? What are the ways that we could respond to God's signs? Well, it's possible that we might just miss God's signs. It's possible that God may give signs of which we are just blissfully ignorant. That was the case with the banquet master. We've got this fellow called the banquet master. In that culture, the banquet masters, uh, kind of like the master of ceremonies, I guess in, 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 a, in a modern analogy would probably be today, I guess like at the reception, like the DJ, right? That you ask him, can you announce this or have this happen? Only it would be a much more uh, important job than that because he would be tasting the food, he'd be tasting the wine, he'd be directing when the courses came and uh, how the entertainment was to go. 
and that would be his function. And, you know, we're told here that he didn't know where the wine had come from. That there was this sign that Jesus had done, but he didn't know where the wine had come from. Now, maybe we can't blame him for that. He didn't see it happen. But that's one way we might respond to God's signs. We might be blissfully ignorant of them. Or we might respond in faith as the disciples did. We saw in verse 11, they saw the sign. They beheld his glory and their faith was increased. The big question mark here has to do with the servants. Because they knew where the wine came from. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. They knew where that wine had come from. What was their response to it? Well, you know, John doesn't tell us what their response to it was. And the question mark that's left here in this passage is one that we would wisely apply to ourselves. What do we do with the signs that God gives us? Are we blissfully ignorant of them? Are we like the Pharisees who don't believe them even when we see them? Or are we like the disciples who have a disposition of trust, who see his glory in them? and our faith is strengthened by them. People make two mistakes when it comes to God's use of signs. They either demand signs or they deny signs. How do you respond to God's signs? Those who demand signs can miss encountering God. That's precisely what happened with the Pharisees. They forgot that God is free to work however he wants to. The Pharisees wanted God on their own terms. The problem was that even when they got him, so to speak, on their own terms, they didn't believe because encountering God requires a disposition of trust. Likewise, those who deny signs can miss encountering God. Such people also want God on their own terms. Those who deny God's signs also miss encountering God. You know, a mistake that people can sometimes make is thinking that sign is the equivalent of miracle. Some signs are miraculous. Changing water into wine, we're told that's a sign, certainly falls into that category. The sign of Isaiah 7:14, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, that certainly falls into the category of being miraculous. The sign of Jonah, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, that certainly falls into the category of being miraculous. But you know, it's interesting, the Bible doesn't differentiate between signs like that. And in John uh, chapter 2 here and verse 11, my translation says this is the first of his miraculous signs Jesus performed at Cana 
in Galilee. And, and the translator, our translator here, if your Bible says the same thing, our translator has done that to help us understand what's going on, but sometimes translators help us to miss the point. And, and the word here, miraculous, whatever word that might be, it doesn't occur in the original. There's no word for that. It simply says in the original, the, this is the first of his signs that Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. And it was a miraculous sign, but not all of God's signs are miraculous signs. In Genesis chapter 9, after his judgment upon mankind, God makes a covenant with creation. You know what the sign of the covenant was? It's the rainbow. Rainbow is a natural phenomenon occurring whenever you have sunlight and water vapor. There's nothing at all miraculous about a rainbow. But it was God's sign. In Luke chapter 2, when the Christ child was born in Bethlehem, and the angels appeared to the shepherds, and they were told, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Now, it certainly is unusual, probably, to find a baby lying in an animal trough. It's unusual, but it's not miraculous. How do you respond to God's signs when you encounter them? There is nothing at all miraculous about this bread and wine. But it is the sign that Christ has provided for you to encounter God. And the sign is not the thing itself. It's something that points us to him. It's a means for nourishing us in him. Some people demand signs and in doing that, misencountering God. Some people deny signs, deny this sign. They think so lightly of it that they miss it lightly. And so misencountering God. Encountering God requires trust. And we will not encounter him to our blessing and benefit in this sign unless we partake of it in faith.